Thank you for supporting the design intent. This conversation is with Andreas Forslund of Cognition, and we had a really interesting conversation. Uh, he was telling us about how he got into this particular business and why he formed it. And I think there's a lot to be learned for everyone by listening to Andreas's wisdom. Uh, Andreas is a really great guy, and I, I'm foreseeing lots of interesting things happening with him and his company in the future. Unfortunately, the, the technology that we're reusing for this particular recording, my sound did not come in very well. Uh, but fortunately, I did not talk very much uh, for you guys. And you get to hear more from Andreas and a little bit more from Dan. So I hope you enjoy it. If you have any suggestions, please reach out and let me know. Thank you. Yeah, we'll get started. Uh, Andreas, thanks for joining us for the, on the design intent. Um, we worked with each other quite a long time ago. You were with Philips Design back in Atlanta, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was there, boy, uh, 2003 to 2005. So I was there for a few years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I left in 07 and came down to Texas. And, so you're in California That's right. now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about what you're doing with Cognition, or how do you say that? Did I say that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Cognition. Mm -hmm. Cognition. Um, it looks really interesting. I saw your post you had you had uh, published on LinkedIn, you know, what you had you guys had just done, and it looked really fascinating and kind of read through it a little bit, and it looks like a really, really difficult problem that you guys are trying to solve, and it uh, seems like there's probably a lot of rewarding um, benefits that go along with that other than just sort of, Hey, we're making things and selling it out and, and <clears throat> out into the world. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing and what this product is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while. So we started the company in 2014, uh, primarily focused on building, uh, uh, like a gesture controller. So we had created this little river stone. It was like a you know, the original Wii kind of remote control, like a handheld gesture controller as a wand. Uh, if you could imagine that with a, a compact touch screen on a, on a river stone. So it was called a smart stone touch. Uh, and so we created this um, handheld device uh, that could do two-dimensional uh, gesture recognition through touch and swipes, uh, and then also three-dimensional gesture recognition through an accelerometer and a gyroscope. Um, and so we were creating that as a, an alternative actually to the Philips Lifeline product. So, you know, Philips Lifeline, I, I fall and I can't get up, you know, the push button emergency response device. Um, Cause I was actually, I was on the team uh, at Philips design when, when Philips acquired that company. And so I got to help sort of deal with that whole integration at Philips. <clears throat> and uh, I learned a lot about sort of the aging sort of senior market aging in place, all this other stuff. Uh, and, I thought, you know, this could be a really cool um, alternative to proactive care, right? Proactive care for the senior that could do monitoring, like gait monitoring, movement monitoring, 
It could be like a something you could squeeze and send a message to someone like a, a social network, like a private favorites network with ca personal caregivers, as opposed to a call center. <clears throat> so that's kind of where we started uh, with SmartStones. Um, but what we realized was that, number one, senior market's really hard to sort of break into. There's a very high cost per acquisition for new products. So it costs a lot in marketing to basically get products sold to get going. And see, the senior market at that time was... Um, kind of averse to really advanced technologies, right? Like super high concept stuff. Um, <clears throat> and so we were, we were sort of like, well, we already invested in figuring out, right? Like we figured out how to build IoT devices. We figured out how to take sensors and build machine learning algorithms on these sensors that can run locally on the device to process information. We learned how to deal with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all this other stuff on figuring out how to make the stone, you know, connect with different devices and all this. So, so we ended up, that kind of came, was like our Tesla Roadster, you know? So like the Roadster was the thing that we didn't realize that we were doing was it kind of was the thing that we created the foundation of our knowledge around doing what we're doing now. Um, but what we realized early on was like, well, we needed to figure out where's the market <clears throat> And, and, and the market, what we learned is through the early research of doing participatory design and, and reaching out into different communities that would benefit from, say, a connected device. Uh, we learned a lot uh, from the autism community and cerebral palsy and ALS and stroke and rehab and all this stuff. And as we started to, to dig into using the stone as a, as a probe uh, for going into these communities and discovering things, what we realized what was missing was a platform that all these individuals with different, very different disabilities, like a singular platform that they could all use, um, that they could use first for communication and second for um, mobility control, like for wheelchairs and things. And then third is environmental control. So the ability to like control your world around you, like smart home stuff. And so that's when we were like, oh, let's pivot the company. So we pivoted the company. We, we rebranded it as Cognition. This is in 2016. Uh, that's a big pivot. Yeah, and it was a big idea. And it was really kind of nascent at the time. And, and we weren't sure that we could actually do it. Um, we, we said, you know, the world really, if you wanted to go to the ultimate end game, which is an interface <clears throat> that is a direct brain computer interface where like I can actually decode brainwave signals and convert those into commands for technology. Um, that's really where we were wanting to go. So our vision was there, but we thought, Oh, we, that's going to be 10 or 20 years before we can even imagine getting there. Um, but then based on the SmartStone technology, we did a literally a skunk works kind of weekend um, hackathon with our team. And we, we borrowed technology from different places and, and we used a EEG headset that was like a consumer EEG headset. And we pulled together this whole proof of concept. And in a weekend, we were able to successfully demonstrate that we could decode brainwaves to the degree where we could have uh, uh, about three to four degrees of freedom for controlling an interface. And we were like, what oh, does that mean by three to four degrees of freedom? Um, if you think about... Um, uh, movement as an example, like one degree of freedom is essentially like a binary switch, like on off. Okay. Right. Two degrees of freedom. You can kind of expand that into, um, directional controls. So I can go up, down, left, right. And, you know, you okay. Know, firm. Then you start to get into more complex movement. And so the degrees of freedom is more of a human factors thing where you think okay. about 
biology. So if, if I wanted to today, in today's world, if I had a like a magic uh, Microsoft HoloLens or something, uh, or a Magic Leap pair of augmented reality goggles, those are what's called six degrees of freedom. <laughs> and so six degrees of freedom is when you can see like your hands in real time interacting with uh, virtual objects. Okay. So you could have a virtual object. There's occlusion with that virtual object with other real objects. So it, it's very, con when you, once you get to six degrees of freedom, things become very, um, your brain kind of starts to feel like it's real. Okay. So even if it's not real. So, um, and then there's systems that go even beyond that to like exoskeletons. Exoskeletons are like 12 degrees of freedom because you have so many different points of movement and hinges mm. and joints. <clears throat> um, so if you think about, you know, three degrees of freedom, you're being able to, you're able to kind of traverse um, a menu system. Like if you think about an interface. Uh, and so with three degrees of freedom, I know I could go up, down, left, right. I could, I could click on things. I could back out of things. So I could actually do something with three degrees of freedom. Um, hmm. But anyway, so I'm giving you kind of the whole linear monologue here about how we got where we got. But we imagined like we wanted to do a brain interface. We thought it was impossible. We realized it was possible, but it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard to do. Uh, but we committed to it, um, and we raised a small seed fund uh, round of financing, uh, and then um, built a small team, and then continued to iterate and, and sort of build the business over about four, four and a half years. And then um, we were quietly working on it, and then um, November of 2020, we uh, did our first kind of public reveal of what we we're working on, uh, which is Cognition One. So it's a fully integrated um wearable headset so if you can imagine a hololens uh i don't know if this is an audio only podcast but I, I can show you here sort of this is this is the this is the cognition one here so um uh so so essentially it's a it's a wearable headset uh that in, integrates um a heads-up display like a clear lens that has uh, projected holograms inside of it like augmented reality uh, and it has sensors built into it that measure your mm. brain waves and so we can determine what items within the holographic display you're fixated on, you're paying attention to. And so by being able to determine which um, graphics that are in the AR visor you're paying attention to, that then allows the person that's wearing it to interact with those holograms. They can um, just simply fixate on them. They can, you can track that for diagnostic purposes, biomedical measurement purposes. Um, you can use it to control it. So like if I know I'm fixating on one item versus another, then I can actually click on it and do things with it um, completely hands-free and without wow. using your voice or anything. So that's really what the system does is it's like it's a fully integrated wearable now that you can design applications for augmented reality that take advantage of using your brain um, as an extra capability to control things or interact with things in ways that you couldn't do before. How accurate is the device at reading brain waves for those kinds of things? It's very accurate. Um, yeah, it's 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 a different methodology. So we're there's a variety of different ways of doing brain wave measurement um, and algorithms. Um, so, you know, based on how, what we're doing, where we're actually stimulating the brain and providing visual a visual interface to interact with. Um, it's really accurate. I think it becomes less accurate 
when you don't ha have um, biofeedback, when you don't have feedback uh, of the cause and effect of what you're doing. So if I'm imagining movement as an example, like imagined movement or what's called motor imagery is really difficult, you know, um, mm. because it re requires a tremendous amount of focus and like meditative qualities. So you have to practice doing mental oh, imagery okay. quite a bit. Um, but because yeah. we have sort of stimulating visuals, those visuals, um, we can determine which item you're paying attention to very cleanly out of your EEG. Data. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, man, if I tried that, I'd get distracted pretty easy. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not in a meditative state very often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And most people aren't. So that's kind of been the, the rub with what's called BCI or brain computer interfaces is that, um, most of them have been designed only as a read only uh, sensor. So just reading your brain waves, but not doing anything with it. Uh, and so read only is kind of, um, uh, it doesn't work very well, right? You know, you need to have, you need to have read and write uh, to the brain. Uh, and writing means stimulating through the senses. So either giving it vision, some information. Yeah. Yeah. You need to give it feedback, you know, uh, and you need to know like, you know, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Do I have kind of, uh, you know, auditory feedback? Do I have haptic feedback? Do I have visual feedback that represents my, the way I'm interacting with it? And um, am I giving that kind of as subtle clues for my brain right. to say, do more of this, less of that. So you right. learn how to use it. So what are, what are some, uh, I guess, applications that people are using this for today? Well, we're in trials right now. There, there's a ton of applications that uh, we organizations are coming to us with um, to use it, ranging from um, really rudimentary, like our use cases for healthcare. So we're focusing on our first market is our first market is research. So we're going to be selling it into uh, physiological and psychology labs, research labs, uh, as well as organizations that have um, consumer electronics companies that are doing uh, research in this area. Uh, and then secondarily, we're getting it, uh, we're preparing to get it funded uh, as an insurance uh, device, funded device uh, as a wearable. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a whole market called speech generating devices. So a speech generating device is something that is prescribed to an individual with a disability that prevents them from being able to communicate uh, audibly. And so um, we have targeted specific uh reimbursement codes uh, that are a good fit for this solution. Uh, so that's our primary market is really within healthcare um, for us, but organizations have come to us with very wide ranging uses for this kind of technology, ranging from esports and drone racing, you know, brainwave controlled drone racing to, um, you know, military applications. We've seen uh, a request for uh, sending it into the International Space Station for astronauts to use while they're floating mm. around in ISS. Um, um, uh, performance sports, rehabilitation, um, a lot, yeah, neuromarketing and gaming, like understanding fixation on particular objects so you understand the psychology of content creation and movie studios and things like this. So there's a lot yeah. of different interesting use cases for it. Wow. What um, I could imagine, obviously, there's a technological piece to it that's that's quite uh, you know magical to you know someone like us who are, isn't familiar with the product. From just the sheer you know industrial design and and human factor standpoint, what were some of the biggest challenges when you were working on this? 
What's not a challenge? This, this is, this, not, is, well, this that's, is, that's, yeah, that's why I said, that's why I, yeah, this is kind of, that's why I said the biggest, cause obviously it's like, you know, there's challenges everywhere you look, but some of the bigger ones. Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, you know, there's, I'd say the fundamental, the way we approach doing this is fundamentally different than the way most other neurotechnology startups have sort of done it. Um, and maybe that's because my background's design, but, um, you know, design, you tend to kind of look at the whole, like every variable at once, and you sort of work things through like low resolution to high resolution. <laughs> um, whereas maybe more of a, a scientific driven company might do it in a linear fashion. Well, they'll, they'll start with the basic science and sort of, you know, sort of the timeline is kind of super long if you're going to be linear on this kind of thing, where it's, it can be shortened if we can do things in, in sync and in parallel. Uh, so one of the hardest things was really just, um, you know, there's the technology and the product development. There's the hiring the right talent that knows how to do this kind of stuff. So hiring neuroscientists with signal processing experience, hiring people that know a lot about um, creating codecs for digital streaming content to like compress um, lossless streaming data over low bandwidth uh, wireless networks, you know, so like using Bluetooth low energy, mm. like BLE is not known for a streaming protocol, but we're streaming super high bitrate lossless uh, brainwave data over BLE, which is something like didn't know we had to do, but it's super hard engineering. Um, mm -hmm. uh, um, electrode design, so like the, the physical contact with the skin, you know, so understanding the dermal properties of uh, or the, mm. the dermal acceptance properties of certain types of materials and electrodes and whether they're going to be, if they're going to carry a good signal quality over long periods of time right. versus like a one hour lab session, um, you know, uh, verifying and validating the market. So making sure you know which market you're going to go into and, um, you know, validating mm. the tech, validating the market, filing patents. <laughs> just, sure, it was sure, a lot. Sure. It was a lot all at once. So, so you, it sounds like you've, your, your responsibility is, is obviously the design, but it sounds like it's a lot, you know, a, a lot broader than that. Me personally. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I, I mean, I'm involved in all of it, but, um, yeah. you know, as we're growing, we're, we're hiring, you know, great people that can take certain functions sure. and certain aspects of it. Yeah. Okay. How big, how big is the team? Like what kind of people do you hire to make such a thing? Um, it's a mix. So we have a mix of full-time staff contract, and then we also have, um, grant funded, uh, partners that are working with us. Uh, so, you know, we're currently, our staff is 16. So we're based in Santa Barbara. We have seven in Santa Barbara, nine in Toronto, Ontario. So we're have two offices. Um, our engineering team is in Toronto. Um, uh, by doing that, we, uh, we also, um, are able to access provincial and federal grant funds that can help stand up relationships with universities around Canada uh, that can help support some of the more uh, difficult to solve scientific problems and help validate uh, things like, you know, certain algorithmic formulas uh, for signal processing given certain types of things. Or um, So we have, you know, collectively there's about 30 to 40 people that are working with us in various capacities. Um, Interesting. So, um, well, what, what, no, you go ahead, Tony. Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, what, what was the impetus that, that kind of drove you into this, into this very complex world <clears throat> of problems? I think my whole life I've liked, I've enjoyed solving 
simplifying hard problems, right? Like trying to come at like understanding really complicated systems and then coming back with a delightful, easy to understand interface. Like I've always been into the interface, right? My whole life. It's like, how do you, how do you make simple things for the user, but you have great power behind the scenes? You know, that's always been um, something that I've always been fascinated by and in my design career. Um, so that's kind of always leaned to that uh, and not been afraid of it. Um, but personally, what got me into this was uh, my mom got sick. Uh, she had pneumonia. She went into the intensive care unit uh, and was intubated. Uh, and so that was the first, my first exposure of being sitting next to somebody who couldn't speak, hmm. but was fully conscious and aware of what was going on. Uh, and I realized as a, as a caregiver, you know, what the breakdown was for her. You know, she was misunderstood often by the nurses and the doctors. And if I weren't by her side, she could have had a very different outcome. Right. And so you start to realize how fragile life is and how important communication is. And we take it for granted. Um, but then I didn't realize how big the opportunity was until I said, well, that was just my mom's situation. And I started doing research and I realized there are all these different disabilities that are lifelong or, you know, there's over a half a bi half a billion people worldwide are affected by disabilities that affect their ability to communicate. Um, and a lot of those have comorbidities with um, peripheral nervous system uh, disease or disorders or, or uh, injuries. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of overlap between uh, motor disability and uh, speech. Uh, and so for us, we kind of look at those together. And so within our addressable populations, we look at individuals with, say, cerebral palsy uh, or MS uh, or ALS. Uh, or someone who's had a stroke or traumatic brain injury, like a veteran who's come back from the battlefield with, say, you know, uh, a brain injury or um, maybe a spinal cord injury that rendered them tetraplegic. Um, so these are the types of individuals we we work with. Um, yeah, so it took a personal sort of a personal moment, and that was kind of the aha. But then I, it took about a year for me to realize that it was actually a, a market opportunity. Right. Mm. Right. Well, what's what's so you 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 kind of laid out? You guys are working, trying to work in the mostly in the medical field. How do you expand on that, or where do you go from there once you kind of get more, uh, I guess, traction in, in the medical world? Yeah, it's a fun. It's a okay. funny question. I get that question almost every day. <laughs> um, okay. And I'm going to answer your question with a question, right? Why do you ask? Because um, I think, I guess my curiosity is, is if you're bringing this into the market is, is because sometimes people bring things in the market and they're trying to get into a larger population in the general population mm -hmm. versus the one that you mentioned that have half a billion that have some kind of a disability. And that's not a small market. And I guess one you, yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty big. So I guess that's, that was kind of my, why I was asking is, is once you get through into the medical world, do you stay in that field and continue to evolve and iterate and, and, and I wouldn't call it specialized because that's a very broad field in itself, but it just kind of stay in that, in that world where you're doing more assistive devices versus making something that's more of a consumer device. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, you know, we believe that our technology can be generalized so that 8 billion people, like every human being on the world eventually could take advantage of our technology in some form, 
right? If you look at our underlying IP strategy, our patents that have been filed and granted, um, if you're looking at the architecture of how we've built what we've built, and, and what you're looking at with Cognition One is literally just the first embodiment of the fully integrated system. Um, you know, so if you think about the long sort of roadmap here, the, the, the sort of second, third horizons on what we're dealing with, you know, you're, you can imagine radical miniaturization of all the components, right? Um, we might even see the components breaking apart into other form factors. So, you know, the AR aspect of this will probably take on its own form factor. The BCI will take on its own form factor. Um, they're going to probably start to look more like everyday wearable objects that people would wear, like glasses and baseball caps, things like this. Um, you know, um, where the technology becomes more embedded into um, everyday things. Uh, so, but ultimately sure, you have sure. to start with a system that works, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that, that reconciles all of the engineering constraints and represents the future architecture. So we've been very mindful of that. I don't, I'm kind of hesitant right. to say, because there's such a breadth of things. There's gaming, there's you know, there's all kinds of applications that are, you know, if you were to, to, to add up all the market opportunities for our platform, I mean, we're talking about over a trillion dollars in, in market opportunity. And, and so, you know, if I were to tell you that straight faced, you'd say I'm crazy, you know? So um, are we going to be the company that takes it all mm -hmm. the way over the line to 8 billion people? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we do it through being acquired by a larger company that can accelerate the speed at which that happens. Um, you know, but, you know, we see, you know, we see our children and our children's children, you know, our you know, folks on this call, right, Dan, Tony, you know, we, we kind of grew up with joysticks, you know, we grew up with as an interface, right, like joysticks, um, right. you know, uh, you know, Nintendo style little controllers, you know, keyboards, um, we saw the evolution into touch screens and gestures and gesture recognition, right, but, you know, our kids and our kids' kids, like, they're, their entry point into user interface is going to be not graphical user interface. It's going to be natural user interface. So like our kids, kids, like their interface mm -hmm. is going to be sensors. Right. Sure. Yeah. And well, I have, um, yeah, I have, um, a kid who was in college now who has had, um, I guess it was a HTC Vive for a number of years. And he's, you know, that that's very natural for him. Whereas for me, I, have tried putting that on and it's just like this, you know, it's not as natural. So I get where you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so for you, it might feel weird, but for him, it feels like just like an extension of his body. But almost like that's the reality or a, a part of reality or something. Yep, exactly. So, so what's happening is you're seeing on the, the more meta, the meta scale of what's happening with regards to overall platforms is, you know, computers have gone from desktops to laptops and from laptops to tablets, tablets to phones, phones to wearables like watches, watches to glasses, right? So, so as you're thinking about this, all the computing capability is just getting closer and closer to the body. And the mechanical nature of having to have physical objects to interact with uh, is going away. Right. Is the product, your, your Cognition One, does that rely on an external device like a smartphone or a computer or is it sort of its own processing device in and of itself? It, it's completely unencumbered. It, there's no dependency okay. on any other All systems. Right. It's wow. wireless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
it works with other systems um, over networks, so over Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, it, it has a 4G connection, so you can be on the network as your mobile. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, so you can pair objects to it if you need to have, say, earbuds paired with it or over the over ear earphones. Or, um, well, I guess somebody some else can see maybe what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can totally, yeah. uh, you can remote in, you can do what's like um, spectating mode, uh, if you think about yeah. that, like you can do with like an Oculus. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I could see a lot of applications for that. Yeah, hmm. so. Yeah, so for us, it's it's really our main focus right now is just taking the team and resources we have, addressing the specific market that we're going after. It's, it's a multi-billion dollar market. Um, there's about 1.4 million uh, adults with specific disabilities in the U.S. alone um, that need something like this and qualify for it with Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. Um, so for us, uh, you know, 1.4 million people might seem like a small percentage of the total population, but uh, it's a big percentage of the overall uh, sure. population of people with disabilities. And it's the first time ever that there's been a true um, development platform that's been developed for such a variety of, of disabilities. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Well, not just people with disabilities, but you kind of mentioned like the rehabilitation mm -hmm. qualities that you can, you can use with it. So lots of people come in and out with, you know, head injuries or whatever and, you know, my wife had a pretty bad concussion and, and I'm sure, you know, other, so, something like this probably could have been benefit to her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, yeah, exactly. Like rehab, neurology, um, speech pathology, even OTPT. Um, because we're mm -hmm. inside of the AR environment, we have um, some personalization software that allows us to personalize the user interface for the user based on their range of motion limits. Uh, so for some people, you might have really you know, good range of motion. And, and so you can, you know, look all around, you know, and see all the stuff around you. But for some people, their range of motion might be extremely constrained. Uh, and so we have um, calibration algorithms inside of the AR environment so that you could do the basic range of motion uh, calibration and determine sort of what your outer boundaries are so that all the UI elements can constrain themselves uh, on kind of the XYZ positioning in the holographic scene uh, so that you can see everything and get to everything. So for us, that's a, you know, we built those algorithms in order to personalize and make the interface accessible for people with limited mobility. But to your point, Tony, it's like you could take that exact same algorithm and do diagnostics on uh, a whole schedule of OTPT for neck injury to say mm -hmm. like, okay, my range of motion on Monday is this, but my range of motion on Tuesday is this, right? And, and you can measure that, you know? So these are things that we're not focusing on, but you can build those kinds of things on the platform, right? So if somebody said, hey, I wanna use Cognition One as a measurement tool for PT or, or range of motion, all someone would need to do is write an, an app in Unity that could run on the Cognition One and then all of a sudden, now you've got a diagnostic and measurement tool. Well, and the person doesn't have to go somewhere and meet with somebody and spend an hour in the car driving or, you know, whatever, sitting in the lobby, waiting, going in for 45 minutes, having them do whatever they do, and then having to go back home. You know, you, you could just ship them this thing. They can, they can have whatever it is they need to do, assign to them, follow, follow all the protocol, and, and then 
email all their data back to whoever's going to read it and give them. Totally. Yeah. And all of our systems are all of the data processing for your biometrics are handled locally on the system. So it's totally secure. Um, you can opt in to share yeah. that information to the cloud if you need to synchronize or backup information, but it's all HIPAA compliant. Uh, our entire cloud infrastructure is HIPAA compliant. So um, you could you could do the, exactly that. Um, there's also opportunities for, say, yeah. remote monitoring. So if you want to do remote neural monitoring on, on certain uh, aspects of, of your brainwaves um, and have... Uh, like even those types of services are starting to show up as there's uh, PC, uh, CPT codes uh, now showing up for uh, remote monitoring for certain things like um, heart rate variability, um, glucose monitoring, uh, soon to be neural monitoring. Um, there's also an opportunity to build in therapeutics uh, in the AR uh, so you could have remote support. So imagine clinicians are remoting in with an avatar into the AR environment. And you're having a, a, a mm -hmm. you know, you're talking to a psychologist, right? Or you're talking to a therapist, um, and they're doing an in, they're doing an advisor consult, and they're literally looking at your data in real time. So, I mean, there's there, there's mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff That's that a little could, scary. could be possible, right? Um, and so, you, your question earlier, this is kind of coming around with like my like, why are you asking? You know, is there something other than healthcare? Because there's almost an unbelievable amount of opportunity just within healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. It, 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 it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. I mean, it's such a complicated thing um, to, to try to wrap your head around what it can potentially do. And, and it's a bold, real bold move by you to kind of go out there and, and try something so hard you know, to do. It's really admirable oh, well, I, to go do that. So, I don't know if it's so admirable. You, I think it's just, you know, my perspective is just, um, you know, I've had loss in my life. So, like, I lost my dad early on uh, as a young boy when he had Alzheimer's and dementia. And then uh, my mom recently passed with cancer. I lost my brother to a stroke. I lost my sister to cancer. So, it's like, I think when you're exposed to loss uh, early on in life, your your perspective on time is very different than most people. Um, and so yeah. I just kind of operate on a different clock cycle and that I expect to accomplish a lot more, a lot faster. <laughs> and so I, I tend to take on harder challenges because I feel like it's worth doing. Yeah, I just see time as a limited commodity. Hmm. So if you, if you weren't working on, uh, you know, this in the product development field and you could do anything else, what would you like, what would you be doing? <laughs> what would I be doing? Um, I'd probably be designing and building a house on an island in Norway. I think that's what I'd probably be doing. Yeah. Okay, nice. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. That sounds and fun. And probably have a small farm yeah. of like reindeer or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you just asked me that on the spot. So that's what came to mind. Yeah, living living off grid on an island. That sounds yeah. perfect. <laughs> I don't think that's too bad. I, I, um, I don't really have too many more questions. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I, it's, I think it's really cool. It's super fascinating. Yeah. Um, I, and I definitely am, uh, you, you definitely are working sort of on the, ed, the frontier edge, right, of technology yeah. and where things are going. So I think that's very exciting um, for design, you know, for let's say design students or recent graduates in design. You know, obviously, with with your background and sort of looking back over time and how your career path is where it's led you, what advice would you give to you know young designers today? Um, 
you know, it was funny because like when I when you know, my background is design and, and I think during my career right. in design, um, designers tend to have um, sensitive, they're, they're, they're a sensitive bunch and, and like, you know, like to sort of rationalize that we feel unappreciated, right? You know, and you're always trying to find your way to get design into the, into the C-suite or in the boardroom because you want to help make decisions. And I think at this point, I think it's like, stop, stop that, right? Like design is at the boardroom and it's widely accepted that like we couldn't be doing what we're doing if it weren't for design, right? You know, to be able to see the whole problem mm -hmm. for what it is, um, being able to iterate quickly, um, also being able to collaborate with people cross-functionally. So I'd say get over the whole like feeling underappreciated thing and just get on with doing cool stuff um, nice. and invite people that don't do what you do to work with you. Right. You know, okay. you know yeah. like really cross-functionally try, try to kind of get out of your own bubbles, you know, like designers shouldn't always be hanging out with designers. Designers should go hang out with neuroscientists and architects and engineers and cooks and sure. you know, construction workers or whatever, you know, and cause that's where the opportunities come is being able to, to do that. Like I, I, I felt like such a black sheep in, in a number of places. I was the creative director at progressive insurance before joining Phillips. Um, hmm. and so there were, I think at the time, I think they had like 16,000 employees. Half of those were actuarials that had their face in these giant spreadsheets. You know, I was, I had a team of about 10 designers working on progressive.com and then their offline, uh, customer experience, like claims and quoting and, and, uh, hmm. And I'm like, so you, why you am definitely I, why am like, I here, right? You know, <laughs> that's like, right. That's right. Um, but it was, it was really great because the culture appreciated creativity. They had, I think the world's largest private contemporary art collection. Like everybody got a oh. nice piece of art in their office and stuff. Um, but you know, what I realized is that I had a tiny little team and a really big organization that didn't fit in. And they were like, well, Andreas, what do you and your team think? You know? And it's like, well, what do we think? And it's like, well, look at progressive.com at the time. Literally, it was full of broken graphics. I mean, you, you know, the, the buy button was below the fold at the time. And you're like, you know, they're like, what can we do to, 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 to change the course of our revenue? And I said, fix the broken graphics and bring the buy button above the fold. I mean, it took me like 30 minutes to tell them what to do. And they created a billion dollars worth of new value. Right. And it's like, how come your actuarials that have their faces and spreadsheets couldn't just tell you to fix the button? Sure. Right. And I mean, it's like, I don't want to oversimplify it, but like sometimes designers need to own up to saying, you know, there's like this old adage of like the expert. And it's like, why do I pay you $10,000 to fix my machine? And it's like, because I spent 10 years figuring out where to hit, the, you know, smash the hammer. <laughs> it's like, take the hammer right, and hit right. the button and right. like the machine works. It's, you know, you're not buying my hours. You're buying what I can accomplish for you. Sure. And so I think if designers start thinking more about outcomes um, and being able to drive outcomes and having the, the self-confidence to pull teams together to really deliver those outcomes. Um, okay. You know, that's all you yeah. can do. All right. That's good advice. Really good. I, I definitely yeah, like your suggestion awesome. of, you know, don't just hang out with designers, right? Cause then you sort of live in a sort of narrowly focused world. So yeah, get out there. Well, that's a, that's a life, that's life. That's a life um, advice, right? Don't, don't, don't arrange yourself in a bubble, you know, get out and, and get around different people so that you, you know, hear other ideas and see what other, how other people think about things, how they solve problems and you, you yeah. can actually learn a lot. All right. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, yeah, cons lots of like consumption, right. Travel, see things, eat, read, you know, really stimulate your senses. Cause that's, 
Um, for a lot of people, they still can't afford to do that, or they don't, they're not brave enough to do those kinds of things. So, so practice bravery and courage and, and being able to yeah. try new things all the time. Um, you know, cause that's that it seems silly and it seems like a lifestyle choice, but it's actually a career. It benefits your career and it benefits your perspective in because ultimately, once you get to a certain point in your career, you move beyond being able to do things. And really, your only value is having perspective, That's true. <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and sharing perspective. So um, right. gain as much of it as you can. Yeah, it was great talking Thanks to you. Thanks a lot, Andreas. I think that's a good point. Yeah, it's for, just really can't thank you enough. It's really awesome to hear about what you're doing and and seeing, seeing the great work that you guys are, are putting out. Uh, I certainly appreciate, you know, people like you and, and you know, knowing you and, and just getting this chance to talk to you and, and um, you know, learn, learn more myself. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks, Tony. And I appreciate, you know, I think we, we worked for with, with each other for a brief period there at, at, uh, at Phillips Design, and I saw some of your work from afar, and I, I very much admired your work as well. So, um, you know, I, I didn't actually do industrial design before I went to Phillips, so I was all digital. So, you know, I, I was like, how do you guys do that? <laughs> you know, how do you do ID, ME? So, uh, you, you know, you should definitely own some of the credit for some of the cool things you've done. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Great. All right. Well, why don't you have a great rest of the Friday? Hope, I hope you get to... Um, Enjoy. It's raining here, so maybe you guys have nice sunny weather. Start your weekend off. Yeah, it's properly. it's not bad. It's uh, could it, couldn't yeah. pick a better place, I guess, mm -hmm. to try and work and live. Uh, so, and you guys are always welcome All to come right. out of here if you're ever out in Central California, yeah. LA, whatever. Feel free to come on up and uh, give us a little bit of notice. But we love to host We've got family that way, so I'd like to come and see. Silly and just kind of see how you guys.